0: Well good morning. How are you guys? Good? Everybody good? All right. Well my name is Dave Schaub and I am one of the pastors here at TBA and I know that often gets confusing about who's a pastor, how many pastors are there. Um, You're probably thinking, are all the pastors bald? How many Bryans are there? It gets confusing and when you add our wives into the mix about who's married to who, Sometimes it gets really confusing. Sometimes we get confused about it ourselves. Not about who we're married to. Not, no, we don't get confused about that. But you know what I mean. So this morning what I'm going to do is we're going to play a little game called Match the Pastor to His... What? No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna, what I think we'll do is I think we'll show some pictures because I think some pictures can clear up a little bit of the confusion about who is who. So we're going to start with Don Dodge. Yeah. So if you need to figure out who Don is, Don is the one with hair. Okay. He actually has that beautiful mullet. He doesn't have it now, but, you know, that mullet. Just say the word mullet. It's awesome. Mullet. So that's Don. So if you know who he is, he's the pastor with hair. This is his beautiful wife, Ray Lynn. Okay. And then we've got Brian Stiverson. All right. Brian is the guy who plays guitar for you every, every Sunday. So if you remember who he is, this is his beautiful wife, Jennifer. Uh, yes. And then we have Brian Legg. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm not joking. We were. <laughs> We were at lunch one day, and we were talking about American Idol or something, and Pride goes, I love Clay Aiken, and I was like, dude, turn in your man card now, <laughs> just, sir, don't mute me, oh, it was so funny, I'm not joking, anyways, this is his beautiful wife, Sherry, okay, and then there's me, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> So, you need to know who I am. That's And then uh, there's my beautiful wife, Ashley, and my son, Alex. So, how do these four losers end up with such beautiful wives? Well, obviously it's pity, right? No, it's not pity. It's love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to continue in our One Life series and we're going to be talking about one life to love. Now love, now that's a word that gets used a lot, but what is love really? We say that we love all sorts of things from ice cream to movies to sports. How many of you guys love the Gators? That's not very much love. How many of you love the Seminoles? Okay. See, we love with such enthusiasm. I mean, just ask any teenage girl about Twilight, and they won't just say that they love it. They love it. Just ask Brian about Clay Aiken. He just love <laughs> him. You muted me. Not funny. He loves Clay Aiken. <laughs> but I also love my son. I love my wife, I love my mother, is that the same? Yet we use the same word. I love my dog, and I'd probably cry if my dog died, but is that really love? I mean, what is love? See, the world is consumed by love. Our American culture is in love with love. Did you know that 60% of all songs that make it to the Billboard Top 10 list have something to do with love in one form or fashion. And it isn't just today's music, it's always been that way. From the temptations, My Girl, to Flo Rida's Can You Blow My Whistle Baby? (laughs) Love songs continue, have and continue to reign supreme. And it's not just music, it's all throughout our culture. Best-selling books, magazines, From romantic movies to TV reality shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. For those of you that are my age, do you remember The Love Boat? Anybody remember The Love Boat? We used to watch The Love Boat every Saturday night. It was a family affair. See, love is everywhere in our culture. But more often than not, I think the world's view of love is often skewed. And a lot of times, it's just plain perverted. Did you know that there are people that love buildings. And I don't mean like, hey, that's a cool building, I love it. I mean, no, they are in love with buildings. I'm not kidding. I saw this commercial on Nat Geo for it the other night. They were advertising the show about strange love, and there were these people hugging and kissing a building. There was this other guy that was in love with balloons. And, And I'm not making this stuff up, I'm not kidding. And again, it's not just that balloons are cool and fun. No, he was hugging, caressing, and kissing a balloon. Just plain bizarre and twisted. It is. By the way, those people that love balloons are called lunars. That's what their names are. A person in love with a balloon is called a lunar. They should call them loony is what they should call them. So love seems to be everywhere. But we're often confused about what real love is. See, the world just has this, such a wrong picture of what love is. I mean, love from the world standard is almost always a self-serving, self-motivated, what-can-I-get-out-of-it kind of love. And I don't think that that's the way love was intended to be. Because, see, the Bible paints such a drastic different picture of what love is for us. The Bible uses the word love, or the form of the word love, 529 times. It's 242 in the Old Testament and 287 in the New Testament. But before we start looking for love in the Bible, we need to define it a little bit. See, in English, we only have one word for love, and that's love. But in the ancient Greek language, there were four words for love, and each of them has a different and distinct meaning. So we're going to take a quick Greek lesson before we continue, because it's important that you understand the difference in the different kind of loves in Greek. So the first one is storge, and it's an affectionate love that's shown within families. Storge. The second one is eros. And it's a passionate love with sensual desire and longing. It's that physical attraction kind of love. It's where we get our word erotic from. Now, these two words are not used in the Bible, so we're not going to talk about them a lot. But I just wanted to give you an overview of what the different words were. The next two are used a lot. The next one is called Philia. That's the noun, philia or philo, which is the verb. The word was used to speak of a friendly affection. It's a love called out of one in response to a feeling of pleasure or delight which one experiences from an apprehension of qualities in another that furnish such pleasure or delight. In simpler terms, it's a feeling that you get based upon intimacy that you have with someone. See, I gain pleasure from knowing you as a friend, so I philo you. You know that feeling that you got when you first started meeting your spouse? I'm not talking about the physical part, not the eros, but that feeling that you got when you started to learn who they were, when you started to talk to each other and share your dreams, bring the walls down a little bit and become vulnerable. That feeling, that fondness that you have for each other, that's philia. It's a love that's from the heart. It's a feeling Okay, Ooh, here comes the rain. Okay, the second one is, is called agape. Agape is the, the noun, and agapao is the verb. And it's to show love or demonstrate love. It is a love which is awakened by a sense of value in the object love, an apprehension of its preciousness, often interpreted as unconditional or sacrificial love. Agape is a love that is chosen. It's a choice, not a feeling. I choose to love regardless of how I feel. It's a love that's from the head. philia, feeling from the heart. Agape, choice from the head. Let me give you some examples. In Matthew uh, chapter 5, Jesus says, But I say to you to love or agopal your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, it's a choice. I have to choose to love my enemies because if I wait for Philea, if I wait for the feeling, it's probably never going to come. Now, you might, ev- you might eventually find if your enemy with your enemies if reconciliation is vol- involved, forgiveness is exchanged, and a good relationship begins, but you are never going to find Philea before agape in something that goes against our sin nature. Let me give you another example. Paul says to husbands in Ephesians, However, let each one of you agapow his wife as himself. Why do you think it's Agapowel there? That's because all of us know, you and I know, that philea feeling is inconsistent. I mean, there are days that I absolutely philo my wife. All the flags are flying, and as Florida says, she has my whistle blowing. Those are great days. But there are other days that, let's just say, that we've lost that phileia feeling. And that's why Paul says you have to agapow them. You have to choose to love them in spite of not having the feeling. So, guys, if things aren't going great right now in your marriage and you're feeling distant in your relationship with your wife, are you agapowing them? Are you choosing to love them? Because I believe if you do, if you choose to love them, if you choose to show love, if you choose to agapao, then I promise philia will come. The feeling will come. And once Philea comes, you might even get lucky and get a little bit of eros in the deal. <laughs> just think about that for a minute. So just keep that in mind. Let me give you one more example. This is a story that you've probably read before, but it takes on new meaning when you understand the difference between philea and agape. And it's in John 21. And if you remember, before the death of Jesus, Peter denies Christ three times, just as Jesus predicted that he would, even though Peter said that he would never do it. And so now this story takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter has decided that he's going to go back to fishing because it's what he knows. And Jesus knows that if Peter is going to lead the apostles in the spreading of the gospel to the world, then he needs to understand. Peter needs to understand his commitment to it. And he needs to be restored back to the ministry. And Peter needed to know that even though he had forsaken Christ, Christ had never forsaken him. So it starts in verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agapow me more than these and when he says these he's talking about all the boats the nets fishing do you agapow me do you love me more than this profession of fishing he said to him peter says to him yes lord you know that i feel you and jesus says feed my lambs see jesus is saying to peter do you choose to love me over everything else do you choose to love me when it requires you to do what you don't feel like doing? Do you love me regardless of the circumstances that surround your life? Because that's what I need from somebody who's going to feed my lambs. And notice how Peter responds. He says, Lord, do you know that I owe oh, you? Peter feels unworthy to claim agape love with Jesus. Jesus is saying, Peter... Are you willing to sacrifice it all for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know you're my friend. We're close. I have feelings for you. So Jesus asks him a second time. And he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you agapow me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I feel you. And Jesus says, well, then tend my sheep. So again, the same discourse. Jesus is saying, I need agape from you. And Peter says, but Lord, I have philo for you. So Jesus asks him a third time. And he says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you philo me? And Peter was grieved because when he said it to him the third time, do you philo me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I philo you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. See, this time Jesus even brings into question Peter's phileo love for him. And Peter is hurt by the question. And I think Jesus is trying to show Peter that while phileo love is good, while having feelings is good, it isn't enough. Because feelings fail. Feelings are in our own strength. Feelings don't always follow through when things get tough. I mean, Peter didn't have very much philea when he denied Christ. And I think that's the point he's trying to make to Peter. He's trying to tell him that it has to be agape. It has to be choice. Because in ver- verse 18, he continues, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This He said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. He is telling Peter that his life is not his own. That Jesus paid for his life with his own life. And that kind of sacrifice demands agape love. And the same holds true for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price. Our lives are not our own. Our time is not our own. Our minds and hearts are not our own. Our relationships are not our own. Our skills and our abilities are not our own. They all belong to Jesus Christ. And yet we, just like Peter, still must decide how to use our lives our time, relationships, skills, and abilities. Let me give you one more picture of love. I think Paul does just does a great job of describing it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's in verse, starting with verse 4. It says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Every one of those loves in that passage is agape love. It's a choice. You have to choose to be patient. Choose to be kind. Choose not to be arrogant. It's agape. And Paul is trying to paint a picture of the kind of love that we should have a love that goes beyond just mere feelings, a love that chooses the right path even when we don't feel like walking on that path, a love that really isn't natural but supernatural. And it's a love that God has shown us. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter five. But God shows His agape, God shows His love for us. That why we will, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in John three sixteen, for God so agapowed the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. See, God chooses to love us. Even while we are still sinners, even now when we mess up, when we fail time and time again, and even just like Peter, when we have chosen to reject Him, He continues to choose to love us. And that's a love that never ends. And even though God chooses to love us, It doesn't mean that it's empty of emotion or feeling. Look at what it says in Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, and loving is translated philanthropia, and that's a version of Philo, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. See, God knows and loves you intimately more than you could ever imagine. See, God is the essence of love. So his perfect love is both philea and agape. And there has never been a more perfect picture, a more perfect understanding, a more perfect display of that love than the picture that we have of Jesus Christ the Son of God, God Himself, with all the rights and privileges of God, willingly putting those rights and privileges aside, thinking nothing of them, and forever changing who He was by coming to this earth to be like us. But not even that. To come to His creation and humble Himself as a slave and die a horrible death by the hands of those he created. That is what real love is. And I believe that kind of love demands a response. I think when you understand and know what God has done for you, when you understand and know the love that Jesus has for you, when you understand the depth of the sacrifice, the immeasurable price that was paid for you, you can no longer sit idly by and do nothing. A choice has to be made. And I'll tell you now, not making a choice is choosing. Look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Luke 11. He says, "Woe to!" He says, Woe to you Pharisees, For you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the agape. You neglect the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you agape the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. See, when given the choice, the Pharisees choose to neglect the love of God. And in neglecting God's love, they were in essence choosing to love their own power and their own prestige instead. So who do you agape? That's the question. Jesus says that the whole Bible can be summed up in these two commands. He said to them, You shall agape the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment and the second is like it, you shall agapow your neighbor as yourself. See, it's agapow for a reason. And that's because philea, love, is not enough. As a matter of fact, every commandment that we have in the Bible to love God, the word used is agape. It's never philea. If we wait on a feeling to start following God, If we're waiting on a feeling to start growing in our faith, then I'm afraid that we're going to be waiting a long, long time and very little change is going to happen in our lives. That's why it has to be a choice. See, Don talked about it last week. He says we choose to do the hard things. Why? Because we choose to love Jesus. It has to be a choice that we make every single day. Sometimes every minute we have to choose to follow Jesus. That's why I think Jesus tells P- Peter at the end of their conversation, to follow me. He's saying to Peter, forget the feeling. Forget waiting for your heart to feel worthy. Forget waiting for the desire to come in your own power. And make the head choice to follow me. Agape me. Now, that's not to say that you can't or that you shouldn't have philea love for Jesus. You will and you should. But what I'm saying is that we often complain about feeling distant from God or that we're not growing in our faith or that we're not being fed enough or that we're not connecting with others in church. And what I think we're really saying is, in those instances, I don't have philea. I don't have the feeling And what I'm saying is, okay, so you don't have it. You don't have the desire. So start with agape. Make the head choice to start growing in your knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. See, I don't know where we got so far off track when it comes to experiencing God. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love that we have great experiences. I love that our worship is moving, and I think it's cool that God continues to fill us up even though we often show up empty. And I thank God for those mountaintop experiences. I mean, it's amazing to me when we have an emotional encounter with God during prayer or worship or reading His Word or when God speaks to us in a a unique way on Sunday. I think it's a wonderful reminder of how much He loves us. I do. I think the problem is, is that some people think that's the way the Christian life should be every single day. They're always seeking these experiences. And if they don't find them in one church, they go to another, and then another, and then they begin to hurt themselves spiritually. See, God has not designed us to have continuous mountaintop experiences. I mean, when they come, enjoy them. Praise God when they come. But they are temporary. Philea is... Is temporary the feeling is temporary and feelings can't be our only guide you know one of Woody Allen's famous quotes is the heart wants what the heart wants therefore follow your heart this is coming from the guy who divorces his wife in order to marry his adopted daughter so you can't always just follow your heart Jesus says for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander. You can't just trust yourself to your feelings. You have to choose to do the things that will bring you closer to God, even if you don't feel like doing them. And the only way to do that is to abide in Christ. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The word abide means to stay in place, to remain. It means that we sink our roots deeply into our relationship with God. That's it. There is no secret formula. There is no magic potion. There is no switch that flips. This is it. Just like any relationship, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes effort to get to know who Jesus is. You have to read his word. You have to be talking with him, sharing your life with him, making him a part of all your decisions, and allowing him to direct your steps. That's it. Jesus said in Luke, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. And see, that's hard for us. I mean, we live in a culture that prizes speed. We don't like to wait for anything. We're always on the lookout for the shortcut. We move in a fast-paced society where everything is now. If we ask for it, there it is. And sometimes we carry that attitude over into our relationship with God. But I'm telling you, there are no shortcuts. There aren't. The only way to spiritual growth is to abide. Sink your roots deeply into Jesus Christ and continually walk with him. On your connection card, there are a number of discipleship paths that we're offering next month. One of them is called Growing with God. If you need help developing that relationship with God, then this class is for you. Now listen to me. There's nothing magical about this class. You're not going to come out of this class and be super, super close with Christ immediately. It's, that's not the way it works. It's just simply a way for us to give you some tools to help you to begin knowing who God is. We're going to be talking about some of the disciplines that help us grow in our relationship with Him. We're going to talk about things like practicing solitude, how to pray, how to read the Bible for real life transformation how that discipleship is also about serving and about giving your life away. These classes, they're going to be on Sunday night here at this church building from 5 o'clock until 6.30, and we will have childcare available for you. So if you're interested, please sign up for one of those classes and drop your connection card in the offering box on your way out. See, following Christ, abiding in Him, choosing to agape, this is what a disciple does. You see, we only have one life to live. And God has a pattern for that life, for your life. And in that pattern, there is only one life to love. And it isn't our own. Because outside of Christ, there is only hopelessness. Look at what Jesus says in John 12. Whoever feels, whoever loves, whoever feels his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. Life for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, that I think that's what Jesus was offering Peter. He was trying to tell them, if you hold on to your own life, if you do what you think you should be doing, then you're going to miss out on what I have planned for you. So Jesus clearly lays it out to him and he tells him he has to choose but that he needs to choose with his head and not with his feelings because the stakes were huge. See, after Peter responds to each question, Jesus says to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. The, the apostles in the spreading of the gospel were at a crossroads at this point. And a decision had to be made. A decision that changed the world. And Jesus was asking him, Who do you, Agapow? Who do you love, Peter? And I think the same thing holds true for us here at TBA. See, I think we are sitting at a crossroads as a church. I think that God has a huge and amazing plan for our church. I think we have huge potential. Potential to change a community. I think things like building the whole house, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg for us. God has brought us to this point. You are here to this point. We are all here together, not out of coincidence. See, God has brought ideas to us, the idea of starting a car ministry for single mothers. God has brought to us this idea of reaching out to our neighbors and sharing life with him in a very tangible way. He has brought to us this idea of reaching out to Highland City in an amazing way. Truly being the hands and feet of Jesus. God has even brought to us people who are willing to, be, uh, to live in that community. To be the hub of ministry there. God has brought to us people with a passion for tutoring kids. People with a passion, a passion for mentoring those in financial need. People passionate about creating a food bank and providing for those in need. God has brought all of that here. And I see all the pieces of the puzzle. I see them. They're all coming together. But for some reason, for some reason, doors just have not been opening for us. And I believe it's because we are sitting at the crossroads, just like Peter And God is asking us, who do you agapow? Who do you love, TBA? Do you realize that our church, our church only gives half of what a normal church our size does? A church our size should be giving almost a million dollars a year. And we gave about 450,000 last year. Now, I'm not saying that to harp on money. Please hear my heart. But giving is a good indication of where your priorities are. I mean, Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. Why? Because he knew that where your money is, that is what you find most important in life. And honestly, it really, it isn't even about the money. We don't care about the money. God takes care of us, and he always will. But I know, and I believe that if you begin to follow Jesus, if you give your life wholly to Him, if you choose to agapow Him, then everything else will fall into place. It will. It'll fall into place. So I believe we sit here today as a church, it's TBA, and God is asking TBA Church, who do you love? So who do you love? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that your love is unending. Thank you, God, that you love us regardless of ourselves, regardless of our failings, that you love us even though we are still sinners. God, that you love us even though we continue to reject you day after day. Thank you for your amazing sacrifice. Thank you for the sacrifice and the love of your son Jesus and that picture-perfect love that was poured out on the cross. God, give us a heart of love. God, help us to love when we don't even feel like loving. Put that agapao in us, God. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray.